Before we begin, we would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we record today, the Bunurong, Bunwarang, and Wurundjeri Woiwurrung peoples of the Eastern Kulin Nation, and we pay our respects to their elders past, present, and emerging. Oh, no, not the beast! Not the beast! And welcome to Not The Bees, I Know Why The Caged Bird Sings. And that subtitle is brought to you by Kirsty. Thanks, Kirsty. It's really apt for today's conversation. My name is Lawrence, and I'm here, as always, with my friend, housemate, and consumer of a large quantity of potatoes, Liam. Uh, hi. Hi. Good Hi. to see you. Um, yeah, it's lovely to see you. Yeah, it's been good a while. to see you. I finally came out of my room for the first time in a it's, month. It's it's incredible. Yeah, you look great. Yeah, thank you. It's uh, all of this non sunlight has really been great for my skin. Yeah, it looks so pale and clammy. It's I am nearly translucent. It is. It, it's it's quite an incredible. <laughs> I absorb more light than I reflect. Yeah, more like a jellyfish. Yeah, yeah. And I yeah. love what you've done with the your same hair. amount of like brain too <laughs> as a jellyfish. So none. Yeah, Good. precisely none. Or should it be technical? Isn't the brain in the limbs? Uh, the that's tentacle? where my brain is. Well, and and they look great. You wondered why my calves were so big? Great two, matter. Two two halves of a hemisphere. Yeah. There we go. Well, Liam, what the heck have we got today in store? Uh, today's a, a two for one, two oh, for one deal. Boy. We are going to be talking about Fast Times at Ridgemont High, a Amy Heckerling's 1982 uh, high school teen comedy, mm-hmm. and then we're going to be following it up with another teen comedy from the early 80s, Valley Girl. Oh my gosh! Yeah, with very opposite amounts of Nicolas Cage. Yeah, in oh, each movie, that's value. Yeah. Yeah, Two for it's one. you. You you get the whole spectrum. You get the minimal cage. You get yeah. the maximum cage. We're gonna we're gonna preface it as much. We both loved Fast Times at Ridgemont High. We're gonna get this we off did. the bat right now. Yep. So you know, we are barely gonna talk about Fast Times at Ridgemont High, which is a shame. It I've is. been bitching to Lawrence in private. <laughs> I've been bitching to anybody who will listen. I wish that we could talk more about Fast Times at Ridgemont High because I, I really liked it. I liked it more than Valley Girl, yeah, and I so wish did I. there's so much that I want to there discuss. Is so much, but this isn't an '80s no podcast this is a nicholas cage podcast unfortunately amy heckerling did not herself recognize the force of nature that is nicholas cage and, and he's only in the movie for a grand total of about 30 seconds and so that's pretty much all we're going to be discussing today yeah i mean it's also such a well-known film if we, it's great just go watch it yeah, we'll yeah, get, yeah we'll yeah. get to it um uh it's available everywhere i'm sure you you've seen it. the phoebe cates pool scene on its own at least a couple times yeah, yeah. um and and you, you all know about sean penn being like the classic Stoner <laughs> surfer dude in that. Um, so good. It's great. It's yeah. real. Okay, yeah. so before we tackle Valley Girl, which is obviously going to be the main point of our conversation today, uh, do you want to give us a bit of a rundown of uh, Fast Times? What's, what's sort of the plot of Fast Times at Ridgemont High? So Fast Times at Ridgemont High doesn't have kind of like a plot in the traditional sense. Mm-hmm. It's basically kind of a year in the life of a bunch of high schoolers mm. at a... Uh, Ridgemont High. Yeah. And you right. sort of, you, you just kind of drop in with them at the beginning of the school year and you spend a lot of time with mm. them and then you leave them mm. right at the end of the school year. And it was written by Cameron Crowe. Yep. Who, uh, based on a book by Cameron Crowe, yeah. it said in the... Yeah. So Cameron Crowe uh, didn't have a normal childhood because he was writing for Rolling Stone at the time, yeah. which uh, of course is the uh, base of the film Almost Famous, which yeah. was also written and directed by Crowe. 20 year, it was the 20 year anniversary really recently. Oh, Like heck. last week. Yeah. Happy birthday. Happy birthday, Almost Famous. Oh, wow. You are almost now 21. almost old enough to drink. <laughs> and so uh, he... I don't think he, I can't remember if he didn't graduate or he, he went back to high school um, and wrote about his experiences going back purely for the sake of writing the book. Um, and so all the characters that he sort of meets there, uh, he's sort of distilled down the stories and the characters to these little nubs that then form the book, then form the film, which I think is very cool. Mm. Um, and who's in Fast Times at Ridgemont High? Who is in Fast Times at Ridgemont High? Yeah. Um, so, like we've already mentioned, Sean Penn mm-hmm. plays the stoner Jeff Spicoli. You've mm-hmm. also got Judge Reinhold. Mm-hmm. Uh, sort of in the I, I guess if you had to kind of pick a male lead, he would be it. He yeah. plays um, Bradley. Yep. Uh, his sister Stacy is played by Jennifer Jason Lee. Yep. In a very early on-screen appearance, uh, Stacy's friend Linda is played by Phoebe Cates. Yeah. Um, oh God, who else is in it? Uh, I, I don't remember the names of Mike or Mark. 
the the character the actors who played that. Uh, yeah, but also had um uh one of Brad's other buds was the other guy. You had Nick Cage, of course. You had Nick Cage played uh his actual character name is Brad's bud. Brad's bud, and he he pops up sporadically throughout the film. And there was the guy who with the big forehead and the ginger hair in that movie. What's his name? Matt. Oh, uh, Eric. Stoltz? Yeah, he's in the movie. Eric Stoltz is in the movie? Yeah. Oh, um, was it... Did we spot Anthony Edwards in that movie? Or was that a different movie? Oh, gosh. It was probably that film. Yeah, Anthony Edwards, who was later, a couple of years later, in Top Gun, and then later in he ER. Was, yes, yes, yeah, he was. He was. He, he prayed Brad's other bud. Yeah, 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 yeah. Another very, very, <laughs> very small part. If you want to make it big in Hollywood, just play the bud to some yeah, guy play called the, Brad. play the bud, and then it's upward from there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and it's kind of just this year in the life, but, you know, we could dissect it because there's so much to dissect. Yeah, we'll probably end up, just given that we're going to be talking about a very similar movie, we'll probably end up comparing yeah, it to Pastimes at Richmont High. So yeah. we won't necessarily shut the door on it here, but yeah. as far as discussing just Fast Times at Richmont High, mm. I, do, you want to dis- do you want to talk about Nicolas Cage's on-screen appearances? Oh because you can I list them on one hand. never ask, Liam. I am thrilled. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Nicolas Cage's appearances in Fast Times at Richmont yeah, High. Count them. You'll never get number past your one. pinky. All right. Uh, the very first time we see him, he's putting a sticker on someone's backpack in the opening credits crawl. Uh, that says, I'm a homo. Yeah. He slaps that on and he walks into school. Uh, he wears a hat in a car parking uh, in a car park and has absolutely no ass. Still no ass. Still no ass. The ass hasn't come in. He's a big, sort of muscular guy. No ass. And there was a downshot. It was framing the lack of ass. But it, it, look, if you want to keep tuning into this podcast, we will let you know when ass appears. There's going to be a kind of a running commentary on... The state of Nicolas Cage's ass yeah. every week. And who knows, we might get through all, what, a hundred films of his, and we might discover there is no ass. That's the plot of National Treasure 3. It's him trying to find his ass. I'm going to find my ass. Yeah, yeah. it's going to be beautiful. Uh, we have that. Then we have uh, Nicolas Cage working in a burger joint, wearing a hat and looking confused. Mm-hmm. Then we've got Nicolas Cage uh, clapping. At a football match. Mm-hmm. That's number four. And number five, Nicolas Cage just, again, busting out at a dance. Yep, busting out with that, that freeform Ooh. 80s dance Flowy style. shirt, great hair. Yeah, really great hair. And uh, and that's it. Yeah. Five, five non-speaking appearances mm-hmm. of Nicolas Cage as Brad's bud. Um, yeah. It's kind of underwhelming it is I'm, i was i was looking i was hoping for a bit more from brad's bud to yeah be honest. well maybe that was the sequel but faster times at richmond high unstoppably fast times at yeah. richmond high breaking the sound barrier at richmond <laughs> high <laughs> and that's kind of uh that's kind of it he dances but it's it's not as good as his dancing in the best of times and which... not anywhere near david's dancing in the best of times oh my yeah that that what would you say that, that live <laughs> yeah <wire>. yeah <laughs> the, the... Watching a small boy get electrocuted <laughs> on national television. So, all right, let's uh, out of Fast Times at Richmond High. Let's give it a rating out of how many? How many Judge Reinholds? How would many you give it? Judge Reinholds. Out of a possible five and a half. Out of a possible five and a half Judge Reinholds, I'd yeah. give it five Judge Reinholds. Yeah, I. You know, I'll, I'll agree with you on that. It was yeah. a really good movie. I yeah. think it was. It was funny. Yeah. I think it had a lot of heart. I think that it. Um, uh, Lawrence and I were talking about the kind of like stereo yes. typiness of the movie. Um, we'll get back to that once we've discussed the characters. Yeah, 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 of course, of course. Yeah. But I think that just my two cents on it is that it does exist in this very kind of stereotype world, but works within those stereotypes to kind of very subtly subvert them or play with them. Yeah. The, the, the characters are very human. Yeah, 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 Even yeah. Even though they're playing in the world of stereotypes, they've, they've all, they're all people as opposed to <laughs> the best of times where they were these shambling shells of people stumbling around yeah. singing in overalls. Yeah. No, it, it's... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's, a, it's, a five, it's a five Judge Reinhold. It's a five Judge Reinhold. And, uh, and we're going to end the podcast there. Oh, no, we've got a whole nother film to Damn, talk about, Liam. We've got Valley Girl. We'll come back to... We're going to cycle back so around. So what is... Valley Girl. Lawrence. Valley Girl. Oh, well, Valley Girl, Liam. Valley Girl is, it's, look, it's Romeo and Juliet. It stars Nicolas Cage as a character called Randy. Randy Romeo. Mm-hmm. And uh, it has, oh, what's her name? I'm going to Julie. Julie. Juliet. Juliet. Yeah. You see? That's, that's how you remember it. That's smart. That is that's good smart. writing. 
Um, it's uh, set. It's a it's a love story. It's sort of a love triangle between Julie and Tommy and uh, Randy. Julie is currently dating Tommy, her jockey, cool popped collar boyfriend. Yeah. What what kind of girl is Julie? Oh, Julie's a she's a preppy. She's a valley she girl. She is the titular valley girl. Valley girls we now commonly think of just being like oh my god yeah. It, it has evolved beyond its kind of very specific origins mm. to. Some, I mean, speaking of stereotypes, yeah. just kind of a big stereo, widely applicable stereotype. Yeah, it, it's turned into this very Paris Hilton and Kim Kardashian, but it wasn't originally really a stereotype. It because it was from it was for people from San Fernando Valley. Yeah, in a Los very Angeles. particular kind of girl from San Fernando yeah. Valley. Yeah, and and Nicolas Cage is a he's a hard rocking punk boy who's yeah. not really but well he sort of straddles the the line between like punk and new wave yeah in that he's, soft rock he, yeah nicholas cage is really into yacht rock <laughs> we see nicholas cage jamming out with a steely dan tribute band in the very first no we don't it's but that would be so much better than this and and it kind of it's it existing it's sort of a very low-key um romeo and juliet story um that's very sweet and uh of course, you know, uh, no spoilers, but of course they end up together, and yeah, it's kind of it's kind of that. Um, so let's let's kind of let's let's jump into it. So who's 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 in it? Who made it? And all that kind of stuff. So sure. Well, we, obviously, Nicolas Cage, mm-hmm. really the only actor in this movie to emerge and go on to any sort of success, I think. Yes. And that none of the other names are really immediately recognizable. Yeah. In the yeah. aftermath. You've got Deborah Foreman who played Julie, but she went and did some horror films. Um seems to be kind of a common trajectory. Like yeah. um Jill Sholin from The Best of Times also went on and did a whole bunch of Yeah. Like eighties slasher horror movies. It was a simpler time. It was It was the best of times. It was the best of times. It was the best of The best of times, times when um you could make a living yeah. being in like B rate slasher movies. <laughs> People were much shorter back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, easier and, to kidnap <laughs> and Nicolas Cage was uh, 18 at this point it's got Elizabeth Daly as uh, Lauren and it was directed also interestingly by uh, another female director yeah his uh, two first feature length films were both directed by women yeah so uh, Valley Girl is directed by Martha Coolidge um, who uh, went on to do um, all kinds of things really she she did uh the Twilight Zone. She did three eps of the Twilight Zone. The the um, remake of the Twilight Zone. Uh, right. Uh, no, Nineteen eighty six. Okay. Twilight Zone. Wasn't so not, the original much earlier? It was. I think it was in the fifties. So it's, and then we've got like the remake remake with Jordan Peele. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah they've kind of rebooted it a bunch of times. That's right. Yeah, but she, um, yeah, she she's like a, directed a bunch of stuff that's got Emmy nominations and Golden Globe wins and everything. And um, yeah, but she never really had another big like landing movie yeah um, yeah 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 yeah. but uh sort of a, a journeyman director yes of sorts. yeah yeah and we've got to talk to cage what's the first shot we see the first of shot cage of nicholas cage again the director and the producers know where the money is he mm. is shirtless on a beach mm-hmm. this time he's he's wet oh he is like substantially moist oh yeah he's running up from the sea yep. yeah they, they've shot him kind of against the sea yeah i mean i i feel that that incredible shot that famous shot of daniel craig coming out of the sea in uh, casino royale is you know definitely paying homage and doesn't I live so. up to no clearly. not in the slightest no the shorts are kind of the same length i'd say <laughs> yeah equally definitely. infamous short shorts yeah yeah um also i noticed substantial chest hair development now this is interesting i was going to bring this up you got the love triangle between julie tommy and nicholas yeah it's not the only triangle in the film it's the triangle between his nips yeah, yeah. nicholas cage's chest was so hairy that um the director martha coolidge said you have to shave your chest hair but he didn't want to go completely clean shaven so he <laughs> shaved his chest hair into a triangle that is that's kind of worse than <laughs> Just going like all sort of natural yeah. or completely bare is yeah. like I'm gonna shave it into a into a triangle. So we've got, it's a two triangle movie pointing down at my penis at at at, at the money maker at the money maker. Yeah. So that is this the... is where my ass would be if I had one <laughs> on his front on his front. Yeah. <laughs> he, well, he's never had an ass. That he doesn't is true. know where it goes. 
We're, like, he's we, heard of them. Yeah. He but knows even the if, concept of Even it. if one of us were to give him an ass, he yeah. would not have any clue what to do with it. You know what? We should, we, you know, we're coming out of COVID. We need, a, we need to develop a film where Nicolas Cage finally, finally gets his ass. Well, you never know. We don't ex- know the exact plot of The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. Uh, that's true. That's it, true. He could acquire an ass in that movie. And we haven't seen The Croods too. He no. might have animated ass. I'm sure he's got some serious animated he's cake. He's serious booty in yeah, The Croods too. Yeah, just a lot of junk in that trunk. <laughs> so I'll give you a bit of... Uh, where, where is Nicolas Cage at this time? Well, he's 18 years old, Liam. He's only 18. He's only 18. It's crazy to think how young he is. Yeah, right? He's He was he was only... I mean, the characters in this movie are supposed to be about 16, so he's yeah, 16, 17. Yeah, yeah. Um, he was actually working at his uncle's, uh, of course, Francis Ford Coppola's, um, movie studios, Zotrope, at cool. the time, and uh, and he wasn't originally going to be in this film. This is, I think this is a great story. So, mm. uh, Martha Coolidge was trying to cast the film, and she wanted someone who wasn't well known, someone who wasn't conventionally handsome, um, and who could imbue the character with all these you know the, the softer qualities. And she was originally going to cast. And do you want to take up this because you noted? Yeah, I parallel. was vindicated. When I found this out, because in the first episode, we were talking about what movies we would have retroactively cast Nicolas Cage in. I said I would have loved to have seen him as Judd Nelson's part in The Breakfast Club, as Bender. Turns out, Judd Nelson was originally offered this part. Yeah. Like, they gave him the part and he was unavailable. And so just from the the, the discard pile, not even like the main list He's of He's literally in a bin of rejects. Yeah. Um, Martha Coolidge pulled him out and was like, I want this guy. Yeah. So I feel... Like, part of me feels like I should now scrap all career ambitions and go into <laughs> casting. Because I'm just, I'm that He's good. on it. He I am knows. on it. I spotted something in the cage that apparently other people saw. And, so I'm and very proud. I, I, it was a very good pickup. I was very impressed. Yeah. Thank you. And um, and he, he was still a coppola sort of at this time. Martha Coolidge also at one point worked as Zotrope. Um, but Nicolas Cage changed his name. Uh, he quit his job at Zotrope and he came to do this movie. Um, and changed his name to, of course, now, this is his first titled Nicolas Cage film. And uh, the movie had a budget of $350,000, right? Mm-hmm. Guess how much money went towards the soundtrack? Uh, most of it, I would say. Of that 350000 $250,000 <laughs> went purely towards the music licensing Just and the clearance. Just to clear all of the music. Just to clear all... And the, the soundtrack is oh, brilliant. Oh, it's great yeah i was like one of the first notes that i made when we were watching this film was how much more authentic the needle drops in real (laughs) 80s movies feel so true than they do in contemporary movies about Mm. the 80s because Mm. for research just so that we could say we covered all of our bases we watched maybe the first 30 minutes of a remake of valley girl Mm. the one that came out really recently with jessica roth and uh logan paul Paul, is in it too alicia silverstone yeah um, and it's just, it's like the music supervisors for that movie were at Target and they picked up a, now that's what I call 80s CD from the checkout. And all of the soundtrack choices yeah. are from there. Yeah. It's We Got the Beat and uh, Kids in America yeah. and Girls Just Want to Have Fun. But they're and... all like slow down because it's a jukebox musical. So as opposed to them just being on in the soundtrack, it's the characters singing them. Yeah. yeah as yeah, Which yeah. doesn't happen in the original Valley God. Thank the original one is not a musical. God. <laughs> It was the the remake was just we thought it was a TV series because it's listed as a series on stand. Yeah, I, I thought it was a series, but it's a standalone it just kept movie. going. Yeah, and um, it is not good. We got like thirty minutes into it before we realized that it wasn't going to end. <laughs> we were tapping out. We yeah. were tapping out. It, it was shot in two thousand and seventeen, and then a bunch of drama with Logan Paul happened with him finding a filming a hanging body in a Japanese suicide yeah. forest, yeah. and then it was delayed release for three years, which is. Like, it's weird that they didn't just, like, reshoot Logan Paul's bits yeah. and put it out. Right. Because he wasn't in that much of the movie. It wasn't, well, at least the 30 minutes that we True. saw. True, yeah. yeah. But and then they released it. It was originally supposed to get a theatrical release. But then COVID hit. Yeah. So it went to video on demand, Liam. Talk about a cursed movie. A cursed, a cursed movie, if ever there was one. Yeah, really. Um, and so, yeah, so Valley Girl, uh, it was shot super low budget. Yep. Um, Martha Coolidge only took $5,000 yeah. for directing the movie. Yeah. Uh, most of the crew were volunteers. Yeah. A lot of the cast were wearing their own clothes. Mm-hmm. 
Nicola, it was it was shot in 20 days. They had enough money to shoot for 20 days. And for most of those 20 days, Nicolas Cage actually slept in his car to kind of get into the understanding of the role of Randy, who is this kind of, you know, living on the edge yeah. a bit. He's a bit of an outcast. Um, and so, so he slept in his car and he would use pay phones in order to talk to the production unit. Because, of course, there's no mobiles and they couldn't reach him because he was sleeping in a car. So he would go to various pay phones and call the production office um, in order to find out where he had to be, which I think is kind of brilliant. It and is very great. Nick Cage. Um, yeah, what did, what, 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 what did you think of the film as a whole? What, um, like, what did, I mean, what I, I enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I I can't say that I, again. I didn't like it as much as Fast Times at yeah. Ridgemont High, um, but it was enjoyable. It was a yeah. good watch. Uh, there were definitely some really funny moments, <laughs> moments that slayed me. Yeah. <laughs> the, the the moment in uh, so Julie's parents are fantastic in this film. They, they are, are great. Great. They're about the opposite of what you imagine parents in a teen movie yeah. to be. Yeah. In they're, that they're they're ex hippies they went to woodstock he yeah. got his shoes for woodstock and he's still yeah, wearing yeah. them they um yeah they they sort of came of age during like the summer of love in yeah. the late 60s uh and still have carried that ethos through to the early 80s so, and they're, so they're pretty chill despite the fact she's a valley girl and yeah. she's a bit preppy they're really they're really chill. cool understanding yeah. people there's one point where julie has a conversation with her dad uh towards the end of the film about like you know, what should I do? Who yeah. should I, um, who should I pick? Should I pick Tommy, the, uh, preppy Valley boy, or should I pick, uh, yeah. Randy, the punk from Hollywood? And he, yeah. he's really understanding about it. Yeah. Yeah. And he seems to get along with Randy quite well. Yeah. They've got a little handshake and everything. It's yeah. super cute. It is you really guys. cute. Uh. Um, but this is a very roundabout way of saying that, um, her parents own a health food restaurant slash yeah. store. Uh, and I think Julie kind of runs off with Randy one day. She, like, leaves work early to go hang out with Randy. And her parents are behind the counter. And they're kind of talking to each other. And um, the dad goes, oh, maybe I should talk to her. And then one of the customers <laughs> looks up at them and goes, well, I can talk to her if you want. And that's the <laughs> that's end of it. the scene. It's just so out of nowhere. Not one of those moments you would expect to be funny. Yeah. But just is hysterical. It's so funny. It's yeah. We were we were both just dying on the sofa yeah. watching that. What did you think? Did you like it? I I I didn't like it as much as Richmond High. Yep. Um, I thought I thought it was good though. Yeah. I yeah. thought I I uh, I thought when we spoke about this earlier today, coming out of this kind of film is it was set out to be an exploitation film. Yeah. Uh, but ended up not really being an exploitation film which is an interesting sort of yeah a sort of twist i mean i think when you consider um a the budgetary restrictions on mm. this movie um how small the budget was mm. and how little of it the actual cast and crew took home with them mm. and the pressure from the studio to make this a very certain kind of film because they're capitalizing on yeah, yeah it, it's, and... it's very reactionary yeah. in that it's capitalizing on the success of Porky's yeah. as well as kind of incipient yeah. Valley Girl culture, which was just starting to make its way out of the Valley and kind of into the broader American zeitgeist. Mm. When you consider all of these sort of external roadblocks, the fact that Martha Coolidge not only kind of resisted them, but then like made a decent movie yeah. in the face of all of these obstacles, it, it doesn't necessarily increase my enjoyment of the movie itself, but it definitely increases my respect for her and my respect for the movie. Totally. And that I, I see it in a very different light now that I know that they were shooting it on a shoestring budget yeah. and there were all of these kind of old male directors who wanted, they wanted specifically four shots of bare breasts. Yeah, it was in the contract. Yeah. They had to have four, because, you know, we're, we're coming, we're coming post- uh, graduate Porky's Ridgemont High. Yeah, even uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High had a substantial amount of yeah. Boot. National Lampoon's Animal House. Yep. that was that was way before this. Um, so they they wanted boobs. They and, wanted boobs. But Jennifer Coolidge. Uh, Jennifer Coolidge. No, Did, uh, Martha Coolidge. Are they related? <laughs> yeah, I've got no idea. Uh, it would be interesting. That would be that would be a movie unto itself. Um, Jennifer and Martha Coolidge. 
And Martha Stewart. <laughs> set in prison. That, the best. It's like Harold and Kumar go to prison. Or Harold and Kumar <laughs> go to Guantanamo Bay. But it's Jennifer <laughs> and Martha Coolidge. Coolidge. <laughs> Meeting up with Martha Stewart, Martha Stewart in prison. And breaking out of prison. To go host a baking show. Yeah, Snoop Dogg's in it. <laughs> he would. They, they would. They're best buddies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. But Martha, Martha Coolidge, um, she looked at the, the contract in this agreement, and they, the producers never expressed how long breasts have to be shown in the film for i've got a, a, a quote from her here um uh coolidge agreed to include a few boob shots they said they didn't care how it was done they just wanted to see them we shook hands on it uh, they considered the film an exploitation genre film meant for guys the real success happened when we showed them the finished film they jumped up and gasped it's a real movie they not no they no longer obsessed over how many times they saw naked breasts in the film which was barely three and one frame of a fourth when the studio f- saw it, they knew it was better to have a good real film than a mediocre exploitation film, and it put them on the map. Hmm. And I think that's pretty dang cool yeah. myself. Um, it's, a, it's a ballsy kind of gambit in hmm. that it could have very easily have gone wrong, and then yeah. they could have been like, no, we asked for this. And this was her first feature film yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. She was a documentarian before this. That's one, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think so. Which I had a kind of thought about that we can get to in a bit. Yeah. But... It could have. It's this is the sort of thing that could have very easily backfired on her, mm. and the fact that it didn't is mm. really, I mean, excellent, very mm. serendipitous, but also a really kind of good turn of events. And and particularly when you consider coming out of like these these very male focused films with Porky's and that Roger Ebert, uh, the famous um, uh, reviewer, made a good point. He said, this is one of the rare teenage movies that doesn't try to get laughs by insulting and embarrassing teenage girls. Yeah. And I, I agree very much with that. Um, uh, it's not a perfect film by any... We, we, we talk about yeah. how Julie has got a nice, well-rounded character. But again, that's kind... She's, she's really... And her parents, to a certain extent. Yeah, we you get, get know kind the of a window into who they are. But Randy really doesn't have any backstory. Uh, Tommy doesn't have any backstory. Yeah. Her friends don't have any backstory. Yeah. They're, they're all a little bit two-dimensional. Yeah. Um, which is one of the kind of lingering traces of the exploitation origins of yes. the movie. Yeah. Um, the fact that a substantial amount of the cast weren't really given a lot to work with. Yeah. They were just sort of told their the type of person that they were yeah. and sent off to go record. It feels like Martha Coolidge sort of got the script, this quite sort of two-dimensional script, and then did her best to really kind of subvert the exploitation yeah. expectations and flesh it out but only to us i mean as far as you could go without yeah, 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 altering the script uh, i i i put forward that um the characters in valley girl play more into archetypes mm-hmm. than the characters in um first time's original high which work much more with stereotypes and within that the characters um in Ridgemont High, who are playing much more in the world of stereotypes, uh, have sure. more backstory than the characters in Valley Girl being archetypal. Um, Maybe for the listeners who yeah. aren't kind of so well-versed in... Dramatical things? Yeah. Do you want to break down the difference between a stereotype Hell and an archetype? Yeah. So an archetype kind of exists across all of human experience. So... Um, it's a more literary... Yeah. For, more more of a literary device than a stereotype. The, the very famous example is the hero's journey. So mm. if um, there's a hero, he ha- uh, feels a call to adventure, he um, or she finds a mentor along the way, is possibly given a utensil in order to overcome this great past, overcome a great evil or something. And this <laughs> Sorry, is either... you said utensil in my mind immediately went to spork. <laughs> I was thinking spatula. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's always kitchen related. It is, 100%. If you imagine Star Wars or Harry Potter, I mean, they, they have the same plot line. They're working with, you've got the hero, you've got the lover, the outlaw... Uh, the magician, like the Obi-Wan Kenobi, the Dumbledore yeah. character. So, and each of them have got pros and cons. So, for example, in Valley Girl, you've got the hero, Nick Cage. You know, he, the, the hero's traits are he's courageous and he's honorable, but he's overconfident. And we see that when Nick Cage spends a day pursuing Julie, doing all kinds of weird jobs, but then still gets rejected. That's mm. his over, overconfidence being the better of him. Julie's the lover. Um, the lover's traits are... 
uh, humanism and passion. She's very accepting. She's very caring, but uh, her downfalls are naivety and irrationality. She cares too much what her uh, friends think. Um, the outlaw, my favorite, is the Han Solo type. He's the rebel. That's Nicolas Cage's friend, Fred. Fred doesn't give a damn. He's independent thinking and he owes no favors, but he's self-involved. Um, and then Tommy, the, 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 the other boy in the love triangle, um, he's what's called the ruler. And uh, he's got high status and he's got resources. And we see this with the opening shot of Tommy, his popped polo t-shirt tucked into his high-waisted jeans there are so many popped collars so in both valley pop- girl and fast times at richmond high who start I'd, I'd love to know when pop collars popped collars stopped being cool well if you ask my dad never <laughs> my dad is a big collar popper steve, steve he pops his collars yeah. when i was a kid he would pop my collars <sighs> a lot of popped collars a lot in my of house growing collars. up yeah, yeah. And that and that's kind of that's Tommy. He's that pot. Tommy's jeans are <laughs> You're so calling tight. Calling my dad, Tommy. Your dad is the ruler. He's oh, that archetype. Jesus, sorry, dad. <laughs> <laughs> but I've never I've never stopped to look at how tight your dad's jeans are. So um, uh, my dad he wears Levi's five hundred ones. They're 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 a, a roomy fit, a regular fit. Yeah, yeah. Good, good on yeah. you, Steve. I mean, dad, forty years ago, different story. But <laughs> current day, dad. A very average. Forty gene. years ago, your dad's name was Brad. Yeah, my dad's name was Brad Robert Holmes. That was my dad. <laughs> While a stereotype is sort of an oversimplification or a characterization, so it's a, con- a collection of personality traits. So you've got, you know, the stoner surfer. You've got the slutty teen, the popular guy. Those are stereotypes. Yeah. So they're not a universal thing that's found in. And so, but even though. Um, they're not one is neither better than the other, but um, the the characters in Ridgemont High are much more fleshed out across the entire ensemble. I think. Yeah. Um, than the the archetypes. Archetypes only really really work when you are given a a backstory like Luke it's, Skywalker. It is possible though for stereotypes and archetypes to exist in the same movie because despite the fact that Valley Girl is working in archetypes, which yeah. I think you've made a fairly convincing argument for, yeah. it is still a movie that's based on kind of an emerging stereotype it's true yes i think i think what that does when you have a blend of archetypes and stereotypes that's called a that's called a stock character sure and i think it's an interesting blend of so yeah the stock character once you start to combine archetypes and a a pop culture stereotype it becomes sort of a stock character okay um yeah my my favorite archetype because it's the parents the parents i noticed when i was doing research into this fall into my favorite archetype which is the everyman right the everyman is the salt of the earth person but they're often unprepared sure and we see this with um julie's parent julie's dad just chain smoking staring out the window waiting for julie to come home but then at the end of the movie going and lighting up a fat blunt in he, order just to relax yeah he he's sending his daughter off to prom with uh tommy yeah. right before the kind of climax of the film where nicholas cage comes back and beats up <laughs> tommy as he's preparing to be crowned prom king and then starts a food fight and escapes with julie before all that happens yeah, the dad yeah. is sending julie off to prom and ducks into the uh bathroom yeah to have a couple of tokes on a and then the mom's like you got some of that for me they're so cool they're so cool such cool parents but (laughs) it's great at the very end of the film um you've got you've got (laughs) randy randy and his friend fred are talking about trying you know they've got this grand plan in order to win julie back yeah and we were talking oh it's going to be like a a carry situation again of dumping pig's blood on tommy or something Mm. it's it's literally just randy going up to tommy and punching and him. That's him. the grand plan. Which, in a way, <laughs> so is great. It's very, it's a very endearing grand plan. There's no, there not are not many moving parts. No. In this, it's something that kind of like a some airheaded punk might yeah. come up with in the eighties. We were talking that while we were watching the film, we were waiting for there to be that sort of emotional, a high point where where the the problem arises, and it doesn't really. It yeah, it it takes a little bit. I mean, you could say that it's the point where Julie has a change of heart and yeah. rejects Randy and goes back to her on, on like a dime. On yeah, a dime really a purpose of nothing. Yeah, um, she goes back to her sort of old way of life. Yeah, and then Brandy, Brandy, Randy tries to win her back. Yeah, um, but it really didn't feel necessarily like. Uh, 
the sort of emotional low point that it yeah. might have in a different film. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, yeah. I, yeah. It kind of just feels a bit sort of tacked on at the end and then... Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe because there's no there's no tail to this movie. Yeah. In yeah. that he takes her back and then it kind of ends in a sort of graduate style shot of yeah. them in the back of a cab. And then they the, the car starts flying through the sky away from the yeah, fairground. It's Greece. It's Greece, everyone. And then they meet um, Sandy and Danny in their car. Yeah. And they yeah. have a drag race. A drag race. And then uh, a Boeing 747 hits both of them. Yeah. It's, and it's that's right, tragic. everyone. It's Sully with Tom Hanks. <laughs> that was the geese. <laughs> the geese. That was the geese. <laughs> Top ten animated crossovers. <laughs> Top ten anime betrayals. <laughs> There's a fun fact, actually. When I was researching this, the final prom scene yeah. uh, went horribly wrong. How so? Uh, so because of the budget issues on it, yeah. so low budget... A lot of the extras are not um, SAG members or anything. They oh. just hired high school kids, essentially. Wow. Okay. And for that final prom scene, they hired, they accidentally hired two f- different frat houses from the same area. Oh, dear. And they started a fight in the dance hall during filming and completely trashed the film set. That's great. So they inadvertently hired essentially the sharks and the jets. And they were like, oh, okay, let's have it out right now. And so they started an entire brawl in the middle of filming. Oh, my God. <laughs> that, oh, how do you recover from that? You, you go on and you have a fantastic career. That's how you do it, Liam. Great. That, that is, in a, in a sort of much larger sense, yes, <laughs> yes, that's true. You shave your chest hair into a triangle and you get on with your day. Oh, my God. Should I shave my hair, chest hair into a triangle? I'm it kind to of, see that. It kind of already is. Yeah. Like it's, I'm not as her suit, I think, as Nicolas Cage is. Yeah. In like the chest area, at least. Mm. Um, mine's more a mine's more a rhombus. Yeah. But like a 3D rhombus. Oh, it comes out. It comes out. It's like a like a. It's a perfect polygon. It's like one of those like little green icons above like a sim. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's what it is. But it's red. It's because oh. I'm hungry. You're always hungry. And I need to use the bathroom. Constantly. I, Constantly. Let me tell you, I can never get coming up on not the bees is. <laughs> it's horrible. I keep a bucket in my room just in case. It makes sense. We are, we are, and we're all living in a simulation. We are all living in a simulation. But that's for our simulation podcast, Liam. which is wholly separate. Wholly separate. Our simulation. Our we are living in a simulation slash Phoebe Cates movie podcast, <laughs> which I I would genuinely want to start. Slash Crispin Glover from the last episode. Yeah, of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. Have Crispin Glover and Phoebe Cates ever been in a movie together? You know what? You keep talking. I'm gonna Google it. All right. Um, God, what do I talk? I'm just gonna go through my notes here and yeah, have a do look it. at um, uh, peanut butter sushi. That was bizarre. Let's talk about that. That was uh, the '80s were a a dark time. <laughs> that was disgusting. So Julie goes to this party, and it's the first place that she meets Randy. Yeah. And they're serving sushi, mm. which at the time I think was a fairly new phenomenon, but yeah. with peanut butter over the top. It was it was it was like a was it it was peanut butter. It wasn't I like satay. I don't weirdly I combining satay. Genuinely with sushi. don't know. Whatever it was, it looked utterly rancid, just foul. I wrote yeah. peanut butter sushi. Barf. Gag me with a spoon. <laughs> which leads me on to another point. The slang in this movie is fantastic. Oh my word! I yes. think we need to um, bring back valley slang. Yeah. So things like barf out, gag me, bitchin. Yeah. Oh, it's bitchin. Tubular. Tubular. Oh, Nicolas Cage. Nicolas Cage is a very famous line in this film that we, when, when they kind of break up at the yeah. emotional high point, Nicolas Cage improvised this line. Did he improv it? He improvised it. Yeah. So Randy is going back to his car. He's left Julie at the door and he turns around and he goes, fuck off for sure. Like totally. Yeah. <laughs> it's the best. <laughs> you want a donut? Yes. yes. I'm surprised that there wasn't more improv in this movie. I know. That, like, it's, great. you're not getting paid a whole lot. Like, the script is a little whatever. Yeah. I, you, you should just have kind of free reign to, like, just go do with stuff. Yeah. 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 Nicolas Cage's performance was actually quite restrained. It was. In a couple of ways. But, I, I mean, the fact that he didn't improv more. Yeah. And just the way that he kind of conducted himself. It, it was a very, like, smolder-heavy There was a lot of smoldering. A lot of smoldering. And you know what? I believed it, though. Like, given his character, I, I, yeah. I, I bought it. Yeah, yeah, I did warm up to it 
as the movie progressed. Yeah. I think because I sort of criticized it right in the middle of the movie and then you were like, no, I actually think it's, I think it's pretty effective. And then I started paying slightly closer attention. There's an incredible montage with Nicolas Cage when he's trying to win her back and he he essentially stalks her for a day. It's great. Yeah. Um, Back in the eighties when uh, no meant yes. And and yes meant more yes. Yes meant the maximum amount of yes. Un- uh, uh, unfathomable amount and, of yes. And yes meant I think we should see other people. <laughs> Apparently that's what the movie's telling us. Yeah. You ever you ever you ever don't take no for an answer so much that you camp outside someone's house and give yourself hypothermia? Look, because that's what Nick Cage does. We've all been there. Um. <laughs> that's how you became my housemate. Yeah. I... Like, okay, fine. Just come on inside. I, I actually, this whole backstory that we have about yeah. us being friends since high school never happened. Never happened. Never, never happened. I met Lawrence six months ago. Yeah. <laughs> Two of those months I spent out front of uh, our apartment building. <laughs> it's it, it's a, it was a fast like The tactic works. You can yeah. learn a lot from the 80s. Like, you know what? A, a matching windbreaker set is a good look. Yeah. Um, Splitting your testicles with tight jeans. It's apparently a fashionable thing. That, Tommy, those jeans. Yeah. Insane. Crispin Glover would not have lasted in this film. No, God. No, no way. He would have gotten one look at um, Julian just... Just, that was it. Yeah. Game over. (laughs) So, have Phoebe Cates and Crispin Glover been in a movie together? My research says no. But if I'm wrong, write to us at notthebeespod at gmail.com. Good time to... P-O-D. Good time to plug our Twitter. Oh too. yes, Liam, do you want to take we that? Now have a Twitter. Uh, not the bees pod. Not the bees p o d is our username. Please tweet us. We mm. currently have four followers. Uh, we're very lonely. <laughs> I'm related to two of them. So if you would, uh, if you have Twitter, come hang out and would like to follow us on that yeah. uh, cesspool of humanity. By all means, just put on your snorkel and dive on in. Yep. Um, you know, neither Lawrence nor I have been cancelled yet, yeah. so I'm kind of curious well. to see what that. What's it going to take? Let's like. find out. If, I mean, we've already <laughs> cut one joke from the podcast for fear of retribution. I don't think we need oh, to tempt fate again. Oh, actually, speaking of speaking of getting in contact with the with the listeners, we had an email uh, the did. other day. Yes, it was quite an event. Uh, David Brown says he's only ever seen three Nicolas Cage films. The first being Con Air, and he doesn't really remember anything about it, but he's excited to watch along with us. So, thank you very much, David Brown, if, for listening. If David Brown has seen the most memorable Nicolas Cage film and doesn't remember anything about it, yeah, did he actually watch Con Air, or did he just eat some bad sushi on a flight? But thank you for listening. Yes, please uh, subscribe to the podcast. <laughs> I actually wrote down in my notes, Nicolas Cage's great chemistry with Julie. Yeah, yeah, they, 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 they have had the most believable chemistry. And I found out something else. What? Nicolas Cage at the time, he spoke about this. It was really easy because he had a massive crush. Oh, that's it. On her in real life. Wow. He had a real crush on Deborah Oh Fallen. my God. But they, they didn't end up dating. They hung out for a bit. And, uh, but then they realized they were just great friends. Oh, that's, that's too, wouldn't, Valley Girl would have been a great movie if they'd realized that they were just really good friends. (laughs) They go to the prom, (laughs) Randy punches out Tommy, who has got the bod, as everyone keeps saying. Tommy's got the bod. He's got a bitchin' bod. He's got a bitch, it's, it's a tubular bod. He's literally a cylinder. He's a cylinder. He's he's an anthropomorphic cylinder. This man is a plutonium rod from a nuclear power plant. (laughs) What if we cast a flesh cylinder as flesh cylinder yes you heard me flesh cylinder that is a very unfortunate pair of words i'm gonna own it liam okay that you were retitling you own the podcast. A flesh i own no comment <laughs> <laughs> look my body pillow obsession is cast in a wholly <laughs> favorable light in relation to the fact that you own a flesh cylinder <laughs> there was that also that very bizarre b plot with Susie's yeah. mom, yeah, that was weird. So there is uh, one of one of Julie's uh, friends is called Susie, mm-hmm. and there is a party at the start with the aforementioned peanut butter sushi. Um, if you want to try it, let us know how that tastes. Yeah, uh, right to us. Um, G- give it a couple of different types of sushi yeah. too, like a California roll, yeah. a spicy tuna roll, yep. um, sashimi, maybe an eel. Yeah, who knows? Eel and peanut Ooh, butter nagi. could be the next big thing. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and they go to the party, and then there's this guy uh, called oh, what's his name? Spike? Skip? 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 It's Skip. Something, isn't it? I think yeah. It's Skip. Um, short for Skippy, uh, the bush kangaroo. Skippy, also the peanut butter. It's, it's this all whole related. It's all peanut butter. It's peanut butter. You watch Sully? I bet there's peanut butter in there. Wake up, sheeple. 
You're being deceived. It's all, look, follow the peanut butter. <laughs> so they're at the party. Skip's yep. at the party. Susie's stepmom is at the party. That's right. Susie's weirdly young stepmom. Yeah. Yeah. And they strike up a conversation, and uh, it's clear there is quite a bit of sexual tension. Really? uh, Between the two of them. And then a couple of days later, who's delivering the groceries to Susie's stepmom's houses but Skip? Hmm. But is that a coincidence? No. Mm. He planned this. And then they have just this weird, very close face-to-face chat loaded with sexual energy. There is miles of subtext yeah in this talk and and then there's this whole sequence where you think that skip just kind of breaks into the house while someone's in the shower and he goes to the shower and then eventually end up doing it but it isn't with Susie's stepmom at all it's with Susie. Susie and the stepmom's like what it's a fun little subversion of the whole mrs robinson trope yeah that i think was also quite prevalent in oh, these like 80s teen movies definitely i mean it was all all these films were come up with by horny old white yeah men. i mean it even kind of persists as far as american pie yeah oh yeah it's true stifler's mom yeah yeah the whole getting seduced by your friend's mom thing but nope in this it's getting seduced by someone your own age like a responsible yeah, mind. it's being faithful to your partner <laughs> What That's love the real show. twist. Monogamy. Monogamy. <laughs> this podcast brought to you by Monogamy. I found a, I found a fun Nicolas Cage story. It's got nothing to do with Valley Girl. Yep. Yeah, well, I was researching. Nothing. Nothing. It's, it's, you know, we see bullies. We see Tommy. He's a bully. He punches Nick Cage. Yeah. He's like, you stay away from my wife. <laughs> and, but Nicolas Cage, I looked up uh, when I was researching this and I found out he, when he was in high school, he had an encounter with bullies. Oh. Huh. He used to get, you know, he, but he scared the bullies away, Liam. He did. How so? Well, <laughs> let me tell you. Nicolas Cage put on his brother's cowboy boots, sunglasses, and popped a piece of gum in and walked onto the school bus one day and said, I'm Nicky's cousin. If any of you guys pick on him, I'm going to beat you up. And he was never bullied again. It's amazing that worked. Right. That likes the power of acting. That is, he really inhabited his character. <laughs> and it shows. <laughs> it shows. Love a bit of gum acting. Oh, yeah. If you can act while chewing, you can act through anything, baby. You can baby. Act through literally anything. Um, is there anything else you wanted to cover? Oh, look. Um, I mean, Tommy rocks up to Julie one point and just gives her a gold watch and is like, okay, we're together now when they're in the diner. And she's yep. like, okay, well, I guess I'll leave Randy. It's it's very it's very bizarre. Yeah, it is weird. She doesn't seem to have a whole lot of agency. Yeah. In that, like, her friends are like, no, you come choose us. And yeah. She's the, like, the, okay. The, the whole drama revolves around her friends being like, no, you're going to be a social reject if you date Randy. He listens to rock and roll. Yeah, rock and roll. Both of them. One, Simul- one or the other is That's fine That's why stereo was invented, for rock in one ear and roll in the other yeah. ear. Yeah. Everything was just mono before that. <laughs> and uh, and that's the whole that's the whole drama. Um, Liam, let's let's give it a rating. We'll give it a rating out of uh, out of bitchins. Out. out of out of a possible out of a possible eleven bitchins. Eleven bitchins. Yeah. Huh. Well, originally I would have given it maybe like five and a half bitchins, mm-hmm. six bitchins. Yeah. Upon first having watched it in the immediate aftermath, but I do think knowing a little bit more about the making of the movie yeah. and how difficult it was to make the movie that ended up being made, yeah. I'm going to bump it up to, I'd say, seven and a half bitchins. And what, what's the conversion rate on on, 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 <laughs> on Judge? Judge Reinhold to, to bitchins? To bitchins. I think one Judge Reinhold is worth, I'd say, two bitchins. Two bitchins. Okay, yeah. So you're giving it how many bitchins out of 11? How many bitchins out of 11? Um, I'm trying to think. I'm giving it, yeah, seven and a half Seven bitchins. and a half, yeah. I'll give it an eight. You're going to give it an eight, eight yeah, bitchins. Yeah, with a side of tubular. Eight, eight bitchins and a tubular eight for good measure. Eight bitchins and a tubular. Okay, great. Cool. What's yeah. a tubular in relation to a bitchin? Some of it. Okay. <laughs> it's some bitchin'. It is, yeah. It yeah. is a certain amount certain of... Certain amount of bitchin'. Bitchin'. It is between zero and one bitchin'. And if you want to find out, watch Valley Girl. It's yeah. a, it's a 
it's a fun film. It's dated a bit. I presume it's not as funny as I imagine it was at the time. No. Um, it's a lot more sporadically funny than Fast Times yeah. at Ridgemont High. Yeah. Which yeah. was genuinely like end to end quite funny. Yeah. And, you know, the characters don't have as much backstory. The acting's very good. Nicolas Cage is very good. Um, it was a, it's a sweet film. It's not great, but, um, yeah, I thought, I'm not sure if there's too much. It, it's very bizarre. We'll have so much more to talk about in other films. It's just kind of a, it, it's, it's a nice film yeah. of its time. Um, yeah, what's coming up next? Next is um, we continue the upward trajectory of quality. Oh, yeah. Um, in Nicolas Cage's filmography, it's a Francis Ford Coppola joint <gasps> called Rumblefish. Okay. And we can where are we going to find that? Uh, you can find it on uh, Apple TV. Yep. It's available for rent. Um, and on Amazon, I think. You can rent it on Amazon Right, as well. you can also rent it on Amazon. And if you are particularly cashed up at the moment, if your job seeker or job keeper payments have just come in, you're looking to spend a little bit of extra cash. Yeah. Uh, Rumblefish is the first of Nicolas Cage's films to have a Criterion release. Ah. So you can buy it on Blu-ray, on DVD from the Criterion collection. A bit of primo quality. Yeah. yeah. And those are great because they come with all sorts of extra features. They've yeah. all been remastered. Um, they have sort of critical essays yeah. attached to them, which give you a lot of background information about the movie. Mm. They, they, they're worth investing in if That's you cool. really like a particular film. Well, well, there you go. And let's end with, um, we had someone write in. We had Susan write in and say uh, they enjoyed our segment. Um, where we retroactively insert Nicolas Cage into a film. So I thought that could be a fun way to to round out this episode. Yeah. Liam, if you had to go back and retroactively insert Nicolas Cage into another film, Hmm. what would you do? I would have loved to see him in The Expendables. Okay. We watched The Expendables, both of us, for the first time recently. Uh, I... Oh, my God. That that is a solid one bitchin' if I've ever seen... A movie that's only worth one bitchin'. But it's just full of these kind of creaky, lumpy, old actors. That have been stapled together. Yeah, Yeah. and I feel like Nicolas Cage would slot quite well in there. I I would have loved to see him in the Mickey Rourke part. Who 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 sees no action. Who sees no action. Uh, Partially because I think he would do really well in that part, and partially because looking at Mickey Rourke for too long, I find really troubling. It's like staring at the sun. It is. It's like looking into an eclipse. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Just not pleasant and not good for you. So if you'd replace Mickey Rourke with Nicolas Cage, I think that that would be a vast improvement to the movie. What about you? I was thinking about this. He has a movie called Stolen. Yep. Which is pretty much taken. Which we've seen. Which we've seen. And we oh, we will be seeing again. We are going to watch it again. I would love it if he was also in Taken. If he, <laughs> if he played Liam Neeson's role in Taken. He, he, so he, he had two films with pretty much the same plot. Awesome. And I want to hear Nick Cage do the, I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want. But I will find you and I will kill you. I want to hear him do that. So good. That would be music to my... My, my large music ears. to your jorts yeah <laughs> music to my jorts and i think that's kind of it for the podcast yeah um, thanks for listening in uh i hope you'll come back for some hot rumblefish action next next time and um and yeah stay tuned subscribe check out the twitter write to us yeah if you want if you don't that's okay we're just lonely it's worth noting we're going to, from now on, start posting these regularly every Monday. Every Monday, yes. So, we gave out another episode just to sort of jumpstart the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just so that there was some extra content oh, to tide people over. I love content. But this episode should be up on a Monday. The yep. following episode will be up the next Monday and so on. And we hope you'll join us. Please. Until then, I'm Lawrence. And I'm Liam. And, uh, and that's been Not the Bees for this week. Thanks very much for stopping by and we'll see you next time.